You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 32. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation issues from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. This month on the show, we're revisiting the topic of road noise and its impact on wildlife. We released a short Eyes on Conservation film last year called The Phantom Road, which documented the efforts of Boise State University researchers Jesse Barber, Chris McClure, and Heidi Ware to determine the effect of road noise on migrating songbirds. This research has made quite a splash within the scientific community and beyond, receiving substantial media coverage. Well, get ready to hear more about this Phantom Road research, because Jesse and Heidi are about to publish their second paper to come out of this project. While the first paper, published over a year ago, focused on the effect of road noise on overall bird abundance, this new research paper focuses on the impact that road noise has on the birds that choose to stay in the affected area. Now, this new research paper hasn't yet been published, which means that we're not permitted to discuss the results quite yet. So this will be a two-part episode. Today, we'll be discussing the Phantom Road research as a whole, as well as some of those first-year results and the impact that they've had on management decisions thus far. We'll be back with part two, which will focus on the results from this new paper as soon as the research is published. Now, before we jump into this conversation, I'll also mention that this interview was produced in collaboration with the Radio Boise show, Building a Greener Idaho, and will be aired on Boise Community Radio in addition to being released as a part of this podcast. You can check out the show notes page for this episode for information on Boise Radio air dates. Those show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org EOC32. Now, let's jump into the interview. All right, I'm here in the Radio Boise studio for a very special episode of the Eyes on Conservation podcast that we're producing in collaboration with the Radio Boise show Building a Greener Idaho. I'm here with uh, two experts on the issue of noise pollution and its impact on wildlife. I'm here with Dr. Jesse Barber, who is an assistant professor at Boise State University, and Heidi Ware, who is a former master's student at Boise State University and the Education Outreach Director at Intermountain Bird Observatory. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. How are you, Matt? Great. Thanks, yeah, great. For, thanks for agreeing to come on the show today. Um, I'm going to start off by just having you give us an introduction to uh, the, the topic of this conversation, which is um, the Phantom Road research is sort of what you guys have dubbed it, right? Um, so maybe you can just start off by telling us what, what exactly, what's the Phantom Road? What do you mean by this? Well, so it just started off as a name for an, an internal name for this project, which is applying noise on the landscape level through speakers to see what man-made noise, anthropogenic noise does to wildlife. And part of the problem with the, the existing literature b before Heidi led this study was we couldn't differentiate the impacts of noise from other stimuli associated with known road impacts. There's a, a rich road ecology literature that, that shows that wildlife can be impacted by roadways, and in particular birds um, avoid roads at up to a kilometer um, on average in terms of lower densities and, and abundance. 
So explain um, explain what you actually like. What the Phantom Road actually is? Is it a tangible thing? Yeah, it's it's fifteen pairs of speakers lashed to trees uh, up in the mountains outside of town. <laughs> How would you describe it, Heidi? Yeah, basically that. It sounds like a highway, but it's not. So, what questions were you hoping to answer? through this research. I, you sort of touched on this briefly, but um, what I, I guess, what was that initial hypothesis that you had when you started this project? Well, we, just, we, we hypothesized that noise was an important player in these known impacts. And so to parse it, we just played back the, the noise component alone to you know, experimentally determine what the, its independent effect was. So we took recordings of traffic in Glacier National Park and, and these were calibrated recordings taken of, of vehicles going about 45 miles an hour, and we, we synthesized them all together into a file that produced relatively continuous traffic, like a busy summer day in some of our more crowded, protected areas, and played that back through these speakers while at the same time monitoring bird distributions and uh, body condition. Gotcha. So you, you mentioned that this... These are questions that nobody had had answered before, right? Um, I guess I guess I'm wondering why that is. You know, it, it seems like a relatively basic question. You know, um, so why is it that it took so long for anyone to design a study like this? Well, I think it's 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 certainly not fair to say that that there's was not previous research that worked in this area. There's there's lots of of different labs who've been triangulating on this problem. But the, the part that was missing was a, a landscape level playback experiment to really see in nature on, on, on these, in these large areas, are we seeing some of the, the negative impacts that have been shown in individual behavior studies or, or in correlative road ecology studies. So it was really just kind of the a project to bring all of that together and to see if noise is having an impact on a large scale. Well, and I also think as an, as an ornithologist that studies bird migration, I think all of us migration nerds would agree that a lot of people ignore migration. And so most of the previous research on birds had been during the breeding season, which is of course an important part of a bird's life cycle, but it's not the whole picture. And nobody had looked at, at that yet. So this study was focused specifically on the impact that road noise might have on bird species while they're migrating. Exactly. So we know that the area we studied is an important spot for migrating songbirds to stop and rest before they continue their migration. And so we wanted to see if the impacts of road noise would still hold during migration like they had during the breeding season in other research. So I'm I'm wondering about how you sort of set the, or I, I guess I'm wondering about some of the logistics of, of how you actually set this phantom road up um, and sort of chose your study site. Um, and, and I know from talking to, to both of you in the past that there, there were some uh, sort of logistical difficulties in, in getting that, uh, that study site uh, up and running the way you wanted it to. Maybe you could talk about some of those early difficulties that you encountered. I'm going to jump in on Heidi before she, she starts telling the, <laughs> the details of the hardship. Because I think it's, it's really Im- important to highlight that the reason we picked the site we did is because of the Intermountain Bird Observatory. When, when I got a job at Boise State and moved here, 
I immediately met um, Greg Kaltnecker and Jay Carlisle, who who you know run IBO, and learned about this fabulous migration site that had been studied for 20 years, and, and they they just had the the biology of these migrating birds really well fleshed out, and were willing to collaborate with other researchers that wanted to ask related questions, and they they were both really excited about the idea of of working on on noise pollution and. Heidi, um, who I met at that time too, was excited to come to grad school to answer that question. So all the the, the logistical pieces were at least on the table to, to do it. And it's it took a lot of personnel. Like how many total per year do you think? I mean, I between think control site and the yeah. Phantom Road site? At least 10 or 11 both years to keep all of that running. In addition to Heidi, the lead grad student, a postdoc at the time, Chris mm-hmm. McClure, who now works at the Peregrine Fund, and, and then myself. So we had a lot of people dedicated to it. But it was difficult getting it going. <laughs> I'll let Heidi talk about that. <laughs> I could talk all day about this. Um, I think the main challenge for this project was that we needed a remote area because we didn't want other road noise impacting our research site. And so to take all these electronics and all this equipment that we needed to run for four days straight out into the middle of the nowhere you know, it took a lot of work and I, I loaded my techs up with 40 pounds of batteries and we would hike, you know, more than a kilometer down to our study site to get all this done. And so, you know, that alone, of course, you know, it was uphill both ways and it was always hot or always cold, but, uh, yeah, so there were some issues, but I think it was worth it in the end. Uh, we got the results we wanted. Yeah, it was, it was challenging logistically and, and technologically. Mm-hmm. So for a while there, we had, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome to, to make sound efficiently and remotely. And we, we solved those problems, but it took a lot of, of, I guess, I don't know, almost 30 continuous days of work with no days off. Yeah. Just really working hard until we got it going. And we were under this constraint because of the, the fall migration season and wanting to, to get some good data the first year that, that we got the project off the ground. And it was a relatively short-term grant. It was from the National Park Service that, that funded it, and we only had two seasons. So missing an entire data collection season would have been dramatic. So we, we really dedicated ourselves to getting it working. And the, and the design of the project during fall for the, the fall migration was, was something that, that Heidi and Chris and I co-created during, during the, the months preceding the implementation of it. And, and I, I, this part of the study is still something I, I really like. We turned the noise on and off in four-day blocks. And the reason we did that is, is that the beginning of one noise-on block to the next was a little bit longer than the average stopover duration that was known from that site. And this is because of the long-term data set and because of, of Jay Carlisle's PhD, which was conducted at this site and stopover duration varies dramatically between different sites. So having a, a location that was so well known really allowed us to build in that design where we were able to, instead of, like most studies, replicate the experiment in different locations, we let the animals come to us in waves. Gotcha, yeah. And the, it, it, it sounds like the location of this study site was crucial to the success of this project. Um, and I kind of want to hear from you, Heidi, because you, you were actually working for the Intermountain Bird Observatory before you 
uh, got involved in this research, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, I guess, um, did you, I don't know, what was it like to sort of bring those pieces together? Uh, it was fun for me. I knew before I got into Jesse's lab and, and started my master's work, I knew I wanted to stay in Boise because I had worked for IBO since 2008 and I was really invested in, you know, their mission and vision for the bird observatory. And so for me, it just worked out perfectly that there was already this site going. I had already worked at this site for, I think, five years by that point. So I knew it really well. I knew the challenges that we'd face and how we were going to overcome those. And I think also logistically running two banding stations, running a control site and the Phantom Road site would have been impossible, except that IBO was already essentially running the control site for us. So I think that really helped us out in that, you know, we didn't have to reinvent the wheel. We already had a station available for us to use. Gotcha. And and maybe you can just give us um, sort of some quick background on Intermountain Bird Observatory's uh, Lucky Peak Migration Site, um, so folks have a better sense of uh, the area that we're talking about and how long this sort of base level uh, bird migration research has been going on up there? Yeah, sure. So um, Lucky Peak was first really discovered as a big migration hotspot for migrating hawks and other raptors by our director, Greg Kaltnecker, and a group of other grad students from Boise State. So they were sort of the first group of raptor um, biology master's students. And so they found this site, and for a while it was a hawk migration count. And then... Uh, Jay Carlisle came along, and he was a hawk watcher at the time and discovered that, hey, you know, there's songbirds around here, too, migrating. And, you know, pretty soon after that, they discovered owls as well. And so this site has sort of accumulated these studies over the years as as we've sort of realized how important this spot is for migrating birds. And, you know, also at the outset, the grad students who were looking for a hawk migration site wanted to find some place that was really close to Boise and, and accessible. And I think, you know, now, as IBO has been running now for, you know, 20 years, that's really been to our benefit because we've realized, as well as the monitoring and the research we're doing, we've realized how important outreach is. And so having this place that's really close to Boise and accessible for visitors um, has been really great. Awesome, yeah. And I, I think, like, I, I guess I want to highlight... Um, the uniqueness of this site um, by talking about, you know, the necessity for this research to be in a place that is a certain distance from existing roads, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, like, m- maybe you guys can just sort of talk briefly about about that component of it. Like, how far away from an actual road did you have to get um, in order to not be getting any, any real road noise uh, sort of infiltrating yeah, so our Lucky Peak site, I think it's about a six-mile drive from the nearest highway, and it's up a dirt road that really people don't drive that road except to get to Lucky Peak. And so it has very little traffic um, and no you know, traditional paved road traffic nearby, um, and that's our control site. So our Phantom Road site is even farther away from any nearby roads. Probably about that same down to the highway, which in the right atmospheric conditions, you could still hear up at our study site, but it was very faint. And birds have about double the threshold that we, we do, so they can hear about half as far. So it's likely that the birds themselves were unable to detect the road. But it's, it's 
influence on the background sound level at the site was was minor. The, the, the most dramatic influence on the acoustic conditions at those sites is, is air traffic into Boise. So our control site, when the, whether the noise was off over at our Phantom Road site or, or at the, the actual uh, Lucky Peak site, was about 32 mm-hmm. decibels, yeah. which is, is quite a bit louder than a lot of natural environments. And those levels are integrated across the entire day so if you take you know all 24 hours it's an, an average of the of that sound level and many habitats are 10 5 zero some of the quietest places on earth and the urbanization around Boise clearly prevents that from from happening but it's still uh, significantly more quiet than the road site which when we were playing the noise measured at about 50 meters from the road was around 55 decibels and this is a, a logarithmic scale, so the difference between 32 and 55 is, is, is dramatic. Gotcha, fantastic. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, um, and then when we come back, we'll delve into some of the results from uh, the first paper that you guys published as a part of this research a little over a year ago. Okay, that was the first part of our interview with Dr. Jesse Barber and Heidi Ware. We don't usually take a break from our interview like this, but since this episode will be aired on the radio, we're required to stop for station identification. I'll take this moment to remind everyone to check out the first short film about the Phantom Road research, which we released last year. If you're enjoying this conversation, you'll definitely want to watch the film and get a sense of what the Phantom Road really looked and sounded like. You can watch the film on our show notes page for this episode at wildlandsinc.org slash EOC32. Now back to the interview. All right, and we're back. We're talking with Dr. Jesse Barber, who's an assistant professor at Boise State University, and Heidi Ware, who is a former master's student at Boise State and the current educational outreach director at Intermountain Bird Observatory. Um, And we're talking about their research um, looking at the effects of noise pollution on wildlife and birds specifically. Um, So we're going to jump into talking about... uh, the results that you got from the first paper that you published as a part of this Phantom Road research. Um, so, yeah, why don't you guys just jump into it and sort of tell me, what, what did you discover? Well, we discovered that about a quarter of the birds at the site left when you turned the road noise on. And when you turn the road noise off, the birds come back. And so we saw this really dramatic shift in bird numbers just based on road noise alone. And so this was looking at this. This first paper was basically looking at um, sort of overall bird abundance, right? Exactly. And and the the way the data was collected was we did point counts at the control site and then over at the Phantom Road site. And these are standardized standardized measures of bird abundance. And the habitat up at Lucky Peak is is pretty dense. It's this interface between the the Douglas fir and the Sage Steppe, and so it's it's full of, of cherries. How would you describe it, Heidi? Yeah, I think, you know, they call it montane shrub habitat. So there's a lot of bitter cherries, willows, and other, you know, maybe 10-foot-high shrubs covering the hillsides. And, and often higher down in some of the ravines. But, yeah, yeah really <laughs> thick. So we, we actually set up hunting tripod towers, which were about 12 feet tall with chairs on top. And so... The, the folks that were point counting would climb to the top of those towers and do these standardized measures 
so that they could survey more of an area in this really dense habitat. And then we compared the numbers between the control site and the in the Phantom Road site when we turned the noise on and off and showed this this decline that was consistent across the season. Every time we would we would turn the noise on, as Heidi said, the numbers would go down and they turn the noise off and the birds come back. Fascinating. Fascinating. So um, were, did you see differences between individual species? Yeah, we did. And so, for example, yellow warblers were a species that when the road noise was on, there were no yellow warblers. We didn't detect any yellow warblers on our point counts when the noise was on, and we detected them when the noise was off. And so that species showed a really steep decline in road noise. Other species showed less of a decline, so some of the birds left, but some of them stayed. And then other species seemed to not leave the site at all, regardless of the noise. We started this conversation off by saying, you know, by, by talking about how, you know, we know that that roads have negative impacts on birds. But the question you were trying to answer was, you know, uh, oh, the noise specifically, um, what effect does that have um, compared to all these other, you know, potentially negative impacts that a road could have on, on bird populations? Um, and so, you know, how, given these results, you know, where does that noise component um, sort of factor in as far as the overall effect of a road? I, th- I think for me, the part of this research that I feel is so important is that we're showing that road noise really is one of the driving factors of these previous results that we're seeing. So before our research came out, there was a, a lot of literature saying that roads are bad for birds. Well, unless you have a critically endangered species, nobody is going to go tear down a road to save birds. So for me, finding that road noise alone is impacting birds is great news because road noise is something that you can change about a road without getting rid of a road. So I think it offers room for a solution and for compromise between you know humans still using the landscape but protecting birds at the same time. And I think before our paper came out, we didn't really know, you know, what is the solution? We know road noise is bad, but or we know roads are bad, but what can we do about it? Now that we know it's road noise, I think we can sort of start getting at the real issue. Gotcha. So, so these results were um, were a confirmation of, of of your hypothesis in in, in many ways, right? Um, but but I guess I'm wondering if there were components of this um, or certain things that you saw in these results that were surprising to you that you didn't expect. I think. One surprising thing we found is that one bird species, Cassin's finch, actually increased in numbers mm-hmm. in noise. And, and that, that, I think, really speaks to the complexity of, of ecology and of, of the community ecology of these mixed flocks of songbirds that are migrating together. And there's not a lot known about the territorial interactions or other interactions that occur across species, but clearly there's, there's some kind of complexity that perhaps opened up available resources for a species that was tolerant and they, they increased in number. It was only that one that we saw, but this has been shown in other um, controlled noise experiments as well, um, that a few species sometimes do better when, when conditions are somehow improved. When, whether that's predators avoiding loud areas or perhaps a competitor avoiding a loud area. So... This this paper came out um, over a year ago, 
Um, and it, it, at least it seems to me, you know, for, from where I'm sitting, it, it, it seems like it's really had a, a, a dramatic impact on sort of the, uh, the, the public consciousness of, uh, towards this issue. It, it's been covered in uh, lots of sort of non-scientific um, media outlets um, and I, I think has definitely dramatically increased the awareness of this issue of the impact that that road noise and noise pollution in general can have on bird populations. Um, were you expecting this level of attention for this research? I know I wasn't. Uh, I was, I think like most grad students, you sort of have this narrow view of your world and you're kind of focused on your work and not really thinking about the big picture, you know, at least when you're in the middle of it. Well, I think the timing of this study was such that, that noise pollution is a becoming a recognized issue. It, I mean, it's just calling it pollution is something that isn't, doesn't seem that outlandish anymore. And there's a lot of, of scientific labs around the world that are studying it and finding a variety of impacts a, across natural systems. And so I think a lot of the, the, the press that this paper got is related to the timeliness of the study, that, that it was just... Uh, sort of a current topic that folks are interested in. Sure, and it's probably, I mean, and, and you can't play down the impact of the results themselves, right? Um, I mean, the results are pretty striking. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I guess when, when you saw those results for the first time, I mean, did that give you a sense of the importance of this that you maybe didn't have before? I guess so. I was mostly just happy that the models I ran finally worked. Um, so to see those numbers come out on the computer for the first time, I was definitely pretty excited. Yeah, and it was, I mean, there was, like I said, there was plenty of earlier work that indicated that this was most likely what we were going to find. So I, I would say that I wasn't completely surprised, but but I was pleasantly surprised. And And I think maybe just to add one more thing about why this is, you know, generated some interest is because everybody recognizes that the world is getting louder. We, we've all seen it in our own lives and especially our families. We talk to our parents and our grandparents and what, you know, is development causes the world to be louder. Highways get busier. And, and that's kind of the cool thing about noise research in general is that a lot of it came from labs that used to study something else or that, that still do largely but they noticed that their study sites were getting louder. And so they would do one study on how it's impacting their organism. They've studied their whole career. And that really built the foundation of the literature. And it's only been about the last five years that there's a smattering of labs around the world that are focused on, on this problem. Gotcha. So I'm wondering what has happened since this paper come out. Um, if may maybe there's some other research that has built upon this, uh, this work that you've done, um, or if, any level of uh, of management action has been taken uh, uh, as a result of of this research, even if it's sort of indirectly. Well, I think it's difficult to say. You know, what did one study do for for managing land? And well, I mean, of course, uh, drawing those connections is is not not only is it not worthwhile, but it really highlights, I think, in the importance of separating science from management. That that as scientists, our job is to find the truth provide good solid data and to present it to managers and then managers are the ones that that need to make the decision about about what to do with the data now i mean i know what i would do if i was in charge of managing all lands 
And that's <laughs> it probably would not be a very good compromise for a lot of, of, <laughs> of other uses. But I do think that, that there are places that are starting to, to care more about noise. But to date, the National Park Service is the only management entity that has really taken it upon themselves to lower sound levels and to, first off, understand sound levels. What, what are the acoustic conditions of the national parks? And then try to implement solutions like lower speed limits, quieter pavement, and, and road closures. Right, and, and you mentioned early on that um, that this study was was partially funded by a grant from the National Park Service. Yeah, fully funded. Oh, fully funded. Okay, great, right. So it there was obviously an, an interest in, in in this topic um, from the National Park Service. So I mean, is is that sort of the first management step is to see what we can do within the national parks? Well, I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about about research funding is this study and others like it aren't that aren't funded for any management reason. They're funded for, for knowledge, just to, to understand the natural system. And it's many steps down the line where management is implemented. So this was funded as basic research, but by the Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division, which, as you can tell by the name, is the, the only entity in, in natural resource management in this country that, that is paying attention to light and noise pollution. So, you know, that being said, they, they were clearly intrigued to know if, if, if these patterns would manifest themselves on a landscape scale. Gotcha. So, you know, and, and I, I know that you guys aren't the land managers, right, as you said. Um, but, but I am curious to hear um, if you are aware of sort of any new or innovative ideas that, that um, land managers have come up with um, about how to reduce road noise without, you know, tearing a road out. Yeah, there's, there's one that has been implemented in Glacier National Park, and that's decibel meter signs. And that's putting up a, like a speed limit sign, but it shows motorists what they are doing. Because if you have all your windows up, and, and you're flying down the highway, you're probably not noticing your, your sound footprint or even if you have your windows down. You know, you have to be out on the landscape with a car passing to get an idea of what traffic does at a great distance to a road. So these signs, the idea of them is to bring awareness to visitors to make their own decisions about, about whether or not they want to slow down. And I actually have a, an, another graduate student in my lab who just started on a, a project that's related to this idea. It's funded by the National Science Foundation, again, an, a, a different federal entity that is interested in just, again, knowing basic information. And that project is trying to see if, if wildlife benefit from these mitigations, like a decibel meter sign, and at the same time, do people benefit? Do they have a greater experience with nature? And the, the, the hypothesis we put forth is that we all are experiencing the, sound set, the same soundscape or the same environment, and what helps wildlife can help people. Great. Well, it's fantastic to hear that this, this piece of the puzzle has, has already been implemented and that the, these steps have been taken to, to figure out what kind of impact that is having. Uh, well, that, that's going to about wrap uh, things up for uh, uh, this first episode. We are going to be back with uh, Jesse and Heidi again in a couple of weeks to talk about the results from uh, the, the second paper that has come out of this Phantom Road research. 
um, which will be published very shortly. All right, that was part one of our interview with Dr. Jesse Barber, assistant professor at Boise State University, and Heidi Ware, education director at the Intermountain Bird Observatory. It's really great to check in with Jesse and Heidi now that it's been more than a year since they published that first paper about the impacts of road noise on migrating songbirds. Jesse and Heidi really care a lot about reaching people beyond the scientific community with their research, and this is a prime example of a successful outreach effort tied to a scientific publication. Their research has been cited numerous times in popular media outlets and has even made it into some comedic interpretations of science news. Check out the show notes page to see what I'm talking about here. And of course, it's always wonderful to see action being taken in an effort to mitigate the effects of road noise on wildlife. And the decibel level signs in Glacier National Park that Jesse talked about are a really neat example of this. So as I mentioned in the intro, Jesse and Heidi will be back in a couple of weeks to discuss the results from their new research paper looking at how road noise is impacting the birds that choose to stay in the affected area. Until then, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode where you can watch our first Phantom Road video and see examples of how this issue has been covered in popular media. Show notes can be found at wildlensinc.org slash eoc32. That's wildlensinc.org slash eoc32. This episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky, in collaboration with Chris Wilson from Building a Greener Idaho. Our theme music is by The Humanoids.